Hey, we should do this every week, hey? <clears throat> Good morning. Uh, my name is Victor Kim, and I'm one of the ministers at Richmond Presbyterian Church. And it's great to be here with you on this uh, last Sunday of the year. Pretty soon it'll be New Year's Eve, and I'm sure that Pastor Steph will be partying like it's 1999. <laughs> I want to thank Steph for um, inviting us to be here in this beautiful sanctuary together as brothers and sisters in Christ as part of the Richmond community. It's a, it's a real blessing. I want to thank um, Stuart. There he is back there. Stuart um, always sort of coordinates these joint meetings at the end of the year, and I don't know how long we've been doing this. I've only been around for four years here in Richmond, but it's always a blessing to be together. So thank you, uh, and just thanks to all of you for, for showing up, uh, for being here, again, as sisters and brothers in Christ. Um, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, for the longest time, I didn't know that the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, you know it, right? The Twelve Days of Christmas. I didn't know that the song wasn't about the 12 days before Christmas, kind of like a countdown, right? But actually, it's about the 12 days after Christmas. Today's actually the fourth day of Christmas. And of course, if you know the song, on the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four... Okay, maybe you don't know the song. Uh, on the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four calling birds, right? And you're just thinking, what on earth are calling birds? What are calling birds? Well, they're probably blackbirds, and they come from an old English word for coal, which is black. So that's what calling birds are. I'm not going to go through all the 12 days of Christmas with you. Actually, we did that at our pageant uh, back at the church. It was, it was quite hilarious, but I want to let you know that we are in the midst of the 12 days of Christmas, and the 12 days always end on January the 6th. And for those of you who follow the church liturgical calendar, right, um, January the 6th is always known as Epiphany, Epiphany. We're probably not going to get together on January the 6th, so I thought I'd take time this morning to t talk to you a little bit about Epiphany. Now, Epiphany is uh, most often associated with the visit of the three wise men, or the three magi, or the three kings, to the infant Jesus. And the word Epiphany comes from a Greek word, epiphaneia, and it means appearing, or revealing, or revelation. And in the Christian tradition, the word Epiphany refers to the self-revelation of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. To be more precise about it, the self-revelation of God in Jesus takes place in two consecutive weeks in the calendar, on the Feast of the Epiphany, and then on the following week, which is the baptism of Jesus. So in both texts, Jesus is presented as the revelation of God in human form, first witnessed to by the Magi who worship Him, and then by the voice from heaven at His baptism in the form of a dove that declares Jesus to be God's Son, the Beloved with whom, Jesus, with whom God is well pleased. Now, Epiphany is also part of what we call the Advent-Christmas-Epiphany cycle. In the season of Advent, we have prepared, we have hoped, 
we have anticipated, we have longed for the gift of Jesus. And then at Christmas, that gift is received with unbounded joy and gladness. And now Epiphany declares that this gift of the Christ child is not only a gift for the Jews, but for all people, for the Gentiles. According to the Gospel of Matthew, the first visitors to the baby Jesus aren't Jews, but they're Gentiles. They're travelers from the east, Persians. The word magi is likely derived from the Persian, probably from what is today modern-day Iran, and they were most likely astrologers, priests of the caste of Zoroaster, well-known in their time for the study of stars. Now, there's some things about these magi that should be cleared up if you, haven't already, if you don't already know this. First of all, we don't know that there were only three magi, right? We don't know that there were only three of them. We only know that three gifts were presented to Jesus. We also have no biblical evidence whatsoever that they rode camels, just like we have no biblical evidence that Mary rode a donkey to Bethlehem. Imagine a very, very pregnant woman riding a donkey into Bethlehem. That would be the most uncomfortable journey ever. And those, and those Christmas pageants, you know, with the wise men, at, at the end of every Christmas pageant, the wise men show up. Well, all wrong, right? All wrong. Most likely, Jesus was closer to about two years old when the wise men, when the Magi, turned up at the door. But there is one thing about the Magi that I've always liked. My favorite Christmas card is the one that has the three wise men, and they're usually riding camels. And at the bottom it says, the wise still seek him. You seen that one? I like it. The wise still seek him. But often as I read through this text, I wonder just, just how wise were these wise men? How wise were they? They saw a star that they believed symbolized the birth of a significant person, the birth of the king of the Jews. And so they followed that star to a place called Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, they inquired about where they might find this newborn king. What sort of wise man drops into Jerusalem where Herod is the king and then asks him, hey, uh, Mr. Herod, could you tell me where the king of the Jews is born? If you don't know much about Herod, you need, Herod, you need to know that he was vicious. He was a tyrant. He murdered at least three of his own sons because he feared that they wanted his throne. He had one of his own wives killed, and he arranged for the slaughter of dozens of people on the day of his death so that the people of the city would grieve. Caesar was to have said that it's better to be Herod's dog than to be Herod's son. Why on earth would you go into his palace and ask Herod where the king of the Jews was born? I mean, you just don't do that kind of thing. <laughs> Kings, especially this, the uh, despotic type, don't take too kindly to people coming up to them with news of usurpers to the throne. It's like going into North Korea. I'm Korean, by the way. It's like going to North Korea and asking my, my cousin Kim Jong-un, um, <laughs> excuse me, dear leader, where is the true leader of the country born? You just don't do things like that. But Herod, he plays it cool, right? He says, oh, I'm very interested. I'm very interested. How interesting that there is a king of the Jews being born here. 
would you go and, and find out where he is? And, and when you do find him, please come back and tell me because I want to go and, and I want to pay homage to him as well. Once the Magi are directed to Bethlehem, as the prophecy has foretold, and they find the child, Jesus, with Mary, his mother, they went into the house and they knelt down and they worshipped him, offering him their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Then, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for home by another road. We all know this story, right? We all know this story. Maybe the story is a little too familiar after all, we've really institutionalized the story of the wise men right, as part of our Christmas pageants, blurring the timing of their visit and the night of Jesus' birth. Because the story is so well known and loved, because the wise men, the magi, are so familiar to us, I wonder if we risk losing the real impact of the story, the shock, the shock and the scandal of what it actually says about God and about us. The biblical story to this point has been centered on God's relationship with a particular people, with the Jewish people, the people of Israel. And through this people, God has chosen to reveal God's nature and God's plan for salvation. But throughout the history of God and God's people, there are always clues that God intends far more than to save just a people. God intends to save all people, all creation. In the reading from the prophet Isaiah, we hear about how the light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon the people. Nations shall come to your light, says the prophet, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. A multitude of camels shall cover you and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. And of course, that broadness becomes much more explicitly clear in the New Testament where we read from places like Paul's letter to the Ephesians that the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We, we get that. You get that, right? You get that. We know this. It's, it's old news to us. Of course, of course God's plan of salvation is for all people. It's inclusive, right? Of course, there is no one who is exempt from those God wishes to save. But I wonder, I wonder whether we truly hear. I wonder whether the good news sometimes is so familiar that it loses some of its power to astonish. If the news is truly good, it must be good for us all, right? Not just for some, but do we believe that? Do we believe that the good news is good for everyone, for all? I wonder whether we're overdue for an epiphany. I wonder whether we think that God's self-revelation of Jesus has been fully, completely, and exhaustively understood by us, or whether that revelation, whether that revealing still continues in ways today that has power to astonish and surprise us. If we were to experience an epiphany today, I wonder what that would be like. What, what would that be like for you? What would that be like for our congregations? Now, one of the things that I've discovered is you can't force an epiphany, right? You can't force God to reveal something new to you just because you're ready. Okay? But we can prepare ourselves for 
to receive God's revelation when it comes. I think of the story of the Magi, that when they saw that star rising, they decided to follow. They chose to follow. I suppose they didn't have to follow, right? They didn't have to go. They could have just stayed there. They could have noted the details. We saw a star rising in the east on this day, and so they noted the details. But instead of staying home, instead of staying comfortable, instead of staying safe, they chose to follow. And they followed that star right into the seat of power of a despotic ruler. They spoke publicly about what they believed. They became involved in agendas not of their own making. They became vulnerable, but they followed despite the risk. So I wonder this morning whether a star has risen for you somewhere. Has there been a star that has risen for you? Is there something that you know that you're being called to follow, to explore, to allow yourself to be vulnerable about? Is there something to which God might be calling you, calling you out of your comfort and out of your safe zone? Will you follow where that spirit leads and maybe discover something new about God and something new about yourself? What might happen if you did that? If you chose to act on something that you didn't fully understand, but about which you felt the compelling call of God, what might happen? Nicholas Kristof is a columnist for the New York Times, and he tells the story of a little girl named Rachel Beckworth. She was a nine-year-old girl from Seattle, and in her church one day, Rachel heard about people in Africa who lacked access to clean drinking water. And something in her nine-year-old mind clicked about how people half a world away were still God's children, uh, deserving of love and the basic needs of life. So in her young life, a star rose, and she followed where that star led. So instead of asking for uh, birthday presents on her ninth birthday, she asked people to donate to an organization that drilled for clean water wells in Africa. And she had hoped to raise $300. She saw on the organization's website that other people were also doing what she was doing, some raising money through asking people to donate rather than giving wedding gifts or for bar mitzvahs. Some people had raised $5,000, others had raised $1,500, and others $750. Now, Rachel was a bit disappointed when her birthday campaign fell a little short of her goal of $300, It raised $220. Then less than six weeks after her ninth birthday, Rachel's family was involved in a car accident. Her family survived, but Rachel was critically injured, and she lapsed into a coma. While she was in hospital, as friends and church members gathered and prayed for her recovery, they remembered her campaign for clean water, and they began to donate to it as an act of solidarity with her. The contributions kept coming in. It climbed over $1,000, and then $5,000, and then over $10,000. Rachel's condition did not improve, but her family whispered to her, not knowing whether she could hear them or not, that her campaign had broken the record for donations to the charity that was held by Justin Bieber of $47,544. Finally, her family made the heartbreaking decision to remove Rachel from life support. 
and she died surrounded by her family and a growing community of people who were inspired by her decision to follow a path. In the end, Rachel's commitment to bringing clean water to those in need raised over $1.25 million, enough to provide clean water for 37,000 people. A nine-year-old girl who chose to follow God's invitation to see all people as worthy of compassion and dignity. Though she died tragically young, she followed her star, and her decision ultimately affected thousands and thousands of lives. A year after her death, her mother traveled to Africa, and she was stunned to see the impact that her young daughter's life had on the lives of so many Ethiopian villagers. It was an epiphany. It was truly an epiphany. So where's our, where's our growing edge? Where's our growing edge? What is God calling you to explore? What is God calling you to explore? Where is God inviting you to follow? What stars are rising on your horizon? Is it about caring for people who are normally outside the orbit of your concern? Could it be about people closer to home? Maybe those without a home. Maybe those for whom home is unbearable because of rejection or anger or abuse or violence. Where is God calling you? We're only a few days away from a new year, a new decade. It's the time of year, of course, when all sorts of new resolutions are made and, of course, far too quickly broken. You know what's common about New Year's resolutions, other than that most of us never really end up keeping them for more than a couple of weeks? I think that our resolutions all have one common element. They're all about our desire to be more in control of our lives, right? They're all about our desire to be more in control of our lives. We want to master our appetites. We want to control our cravings. We want to lose weight give up an addiction, we resolve to learn a new skill, to take a course of action that will improve who we are. We make a resolution to be more caring. We expand our sense of compassion to be more disciplined as we exercise our faith. It's really about control, the control over the kind of person we want to be, over the kind of life we want to have. It's like a map, right? We know where we are, we know where we want to get to, and we think we know the way to get there. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to Jesus, we have to be careful about the kind of resolutions we make. You know, when the Magi found the one who was born the king of the Jews, they were filled with overwhelming joy. But not long after that, not long after that, they get a warning. Don't go back to Herod. Don't go back to Herod. You have to imagine a little bit here. Everyone in the area knows about this traveling troop of visitors from the east. Word has spread from Jerusalem throughout the land that there are these Gentiles traveling in the Jewish land, and they kind of stick out like Dennis Rodman would in North Korea. And now all of a sudden, they have to sneak back home. They've got to sneak back home and avoid any contact with Herod or his lackeys. All of a sudden, risk has entered into the equation, right? Risk. They are no longer in control of the situation, and they don't have maps for this part of the journey. What the text tells us is that 
if, an, if you encounter an epiphany, or actually more accurately, if an epiphany encounters you, you got to be prepared to lose control. You got to be prepared to lose control. What do we do with an epiphany? When God is made manifest in our lives and in the life of our world, what does that do to us? If we take it seriously, if we take it seriously, we have to confess that God then becomes the one in control and not us. The response to epiphany is not control or confidence, but obedience and trust. It's about obedience and trust. If our resolution this year is to seek a closer relationship with Jesus, if we truly want to grow in our faith, we have to be ready to embrace and accept risk. To be told to take a different path from the ones that we're used to. We've got to be prepared to travel along a less familiar road than the ones we're always on. Maybe even one for which there is no map. And we've got to be prepared to listen differently to different voices. You know, in our world, Herod's is the voice that's most common. The one with the most authority. Herod's is the voice of safety. The one that doesn't expect too much of us. Do what you're told. Do what you're told. Do what's expected. Don't risk it. Go back to Jerusalem. Report back to the authorities. And then you get to go home just the way you came. Right? But Herod's voice would have us ignore our epiphanies. And the Magi, they've experienced too much to remain the same. Be careful about the kind of resolutions you make about Jesus. Because if we're serious, if we're serious, if an epiphany encounters us, our road cannot be the same. Our road cannot be the same. It's a new beginning. It's a new year almost upon us. What is it, what is it as we begin this new year, this new decade, what is it that has been gnawing at you for some time now? But that you just haven't had the time or the energy or maybe the courage to follow up on. What is that that you know that's been on your heart? What is that star that has risen for you? What is it that would put you at risk, that would make you vulnerable, that would get you involved in some other agenda than your own, but that might in the end reveal something unexpected, something astonishing about God and about you as a follower of Jesus. Will we follow the stars that God has placed in our lives? You know, if we never leave the safety, the comfort, the comfort the predictability and the security of our home bases, what new revelations might we be missing out on? You know, the Magi sought the one who was born King of the Jews, the one who the prophets declared would shepherd God's people. What was revealed was the good news that God is the God of all people, not only the people of Israel, but of the Persians, of the Gentiles, of all the peoples. What was revealed was the gift of God's love for all creation. All creation, not just some, not only the people that are like us, not only the people that we like, but all creation. Where might that good news take you and take our congregations in this upcoming year? 
Maybe this is the year that we ditch the old maps that we've used before because they only take us down roads where we've been, right? Maybe we ditch the old maps. They only take us down roads we've already been. It would be tragic. It would be tragic if we caught a glimpse of an epiphany about God, about God's love for all, God's broadness of compassion, grace, and mercy, and then we chose to remain the same chose to remain just as we, are, as we are, chose to return to Herod and forsake the dream. The wise men sought the one born as the king of the Jews. They sought him, they encountered him, they worshipped him, and then they went home by another road. It's true, the wise still seek him. The wise still seek him. As we seek Christ... And as our risen Lord meets us, as we become encountered by an epiphany, a revelation, a new understanding, my friends, may we worship Him, may we pay Him homage, may we offer Him our best gifts, and then may we commit to traveling by a different road. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God of light and peace, whose glory shining in the child of Bethlehem still draws the nations to yourself, we praise and worship you for the gracious mystery of your Son. This morning we pray in thanksgiving that you, O God, are the God of all people, that you are the God of all creation. We give you thanks that through the people of Israel, you chose to reveal yourself to the world, but in Jesus Christ, Your fullest intentions have been made clear to us that all nations, that all peoples, all creation belongs to you and that your love and your compassion are broader than our imagination. We pray this morning for people who need reassurance of that love and compassion. We remember in our prayers the families of those who have lost loved ones, both suddenly, tragically, close to home and far around the world. For those who've lost through violent acts of anger, hatred, war. Those who are grieving for those who have died after a long struggle. Heal those who mourn and let your light shine in our darkness. God, we pray this day so close to the beginning of a new year for those who are seeking newness, for those who seek to commit or recommit themselves to discipleship in Jesus Christ. We pray that this would be a year of growth, deepening, and robustness in faith. We pray that our actions would precede our words, that our doing would lead our speaking. We pray for our churches, our communities, and our city. May we be a people who will follow where your stars lead, a people who will not be content remaining where we are, but who will seek to be open to new revelations about you, and about ourselves. Visit our rest with disturbing dreams and our journeys with strange companions. Grace us with a hospitality to open our hearts and homes to visitors filled with unfamiliar wisdom bearing profound and unusual gifts. Guide us to be faithful disciples who will worship Christ above all and bring our best gifts before Him. Our resources, our dreams, our commitment, our lives. 
Oh God, guide us to a journey on a new path this year. Lead us to your path of salvation, that the radiance and power of your Holy Spirit working in the world, that through that power, we will gather all peoples and all nations in one community to offer you our worship and proclaim your splendor. These are prayers we pray through Christ Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.